Part two, chapter two of If Winter Comes by A. S. M. Hutchinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. The features of the level valley beyond the brow, where he could only have seen the individual he sought, were at a distance of Noah's Ark dimensions. How could he have recognized anyone? said Nona. Her gaze towards the valley. I can't even see anyone. He's got eyes like about four hawks, Sabre said, and rides like, uh, what do they call those things? A centaur. She turned her head towards him. He does everything better than anyone else, she said. That's Tony's characteristic, everything. He's perfectly wonderful. These were enthusiastic words, but she spoke them without enthusiasm. She merely pronounced them. Well, I'm off too, she said. And what about you, Marco? You're going to work, aren't you? I don't think you ought to be able to stop and gossip like this. You're not getting an idler, are you? You used to be such a devoted hard worker, my word. And she laughed as though at some amused memory of his devotion to work. He laughed, too. They certainly had many recollections in common, though not all laughable. I don't think I'm quite so... so earnest as I used to be, he smiled. Ah, but I like you, Ernest Marco. There was the tiniest silence between them, yet it seemed to Sabre a very long silence. She was again the one to speak, and her tone was rather abrupt and high-pitched, as if she, too, were conscious of a long silence and broke it deliberately, as one breaks with an effort constraint. And how's Mabel? She's all right, ever so keen on this garden-home business. She would be, said Nona. And so am I, said Sabre. Something in her tone made him say it defiantly. She laughed. I'm sure you are, Marco. Well, good-bye. And as Darian Toms began to turn with his customary sedateness of motion, she made the remark. I'm so glad you don't wear trouser clips, Marco. I do loathe trouser clips. He told her that he rode one of those chainless bikes. He said it rather mumblingly. Exactly in that tone she used to say things like, I do like you in that brown suit, Marco. He resumed his ride. A mile further on he overtook on a slight rise an immense tree trunk slung between three pairs of wheels and dragged by two tremendous horses harnessed tandem-wise. As he passed them came the smell of warm horse-flesh, and his thought was, pretty. He shot ahead, and a line came into his mind. Was this the face that launched a thousand ships? Well, he had had certain aspirations, dreams, visions. He was upon the crest whence the road ran down into Tidborough. Beneath him the spires of the cathedral lifted exquisitely above the surrounding city. Those houses in King's Close are going to be eighty pounds a year, and what do you think? Mrs. Toller's going to take one. Sabre found but little business waiting for him when he got to his office. When he had disposed of it, he sat some little time staring absent-mindedly at the cases whereupon were ranged the books of his publication. Then he took out the manuscript of England and turned over the pages. He wondered what Nona would think of it. He would like to tell her about it. Twining came in. Twining rarely entered Sabre's room. Sabre did not enter Twining's twice a year. Their work ran on separate lines, and there was something unexpressed, the reverse of much sympathy between them. Twining was an older man than Sabre. He was only two years older in computation by age, but he was very much more in appearance, in manner, and in business experience. He had been in the firm as a boy-checker when Sabre was entering Tidborough School. 
He had attracted Mr. Fortune's special attention by disclosing a serious scamping of finish in a set of desks, and he had risen to head clerk when Sabre was at Oxford. On the day that Sabre entered the firm, he had been put on probation in the position he now held, and on the day that Sabre's father retired, he had been confirmed in the position. He regarded Sabre as an amateur, and was privately disturbed by the fact that the man who did not know the ropes, and had not been through the mill, should come to a position equal in standing to his own. Nevertheless, he accepted the fact, not showing the smallest animosity. He was always very ready to be cordial towards Sabre, but his cordiality took a form in which Sabre had never seen eye to eye with him. The attitude he extended to Sabre was that he and Sabre were two young fellows under a rather pig-headed old employer, and that they could have many jokes and grievances and go-ahead schemes in companionship together. Sabre did not accept this view. He gave Twining, from the first, the impression of considering himself as working alongside Mr. Fortune instead of beneath him, and he was cold to and refused to participate in the truant schoolboy air which Twining adopted when they were together. Twining called this sighty. He was anxious to show Sabre, when Sabre first came to the firm, the best places to lunch in Tidborough, but Sabre was frequently lunching with one of the schoolmasters or at the master's common room. Twining thought this standoffish. Twining was of middle height, very thin, black-haired. His clean-shaven face was deeply furrowed, in rigid-looking furrows, which looked as though shaving would be an intricate operation. He held himself very stiffly, and spoke stiffly, as though the cords of his larynx were also rigidly inclined. When not speaking, he had a habit of breathing rather noisily through his nose, as if we were doing deep-breathing exercises. He was married, and had a son of whom he was immensely proud aged eighteen, and doing well in a lawyer's office. He came in and closed the door. He had a sheet of paper in his hand. Sabre engrossed, glanced up. Hello, Twining. He wrote a word and then put down his pen. Anything you want me about? He lay back in his chair and stared, frowning at the manuscript before him. Nothing particular if you're busy, Twining said. I just looked in. He advanced the paper in his hand and looked at it as if about to add something else, but he said nothing and stood by Sabre's chair, also looking at the manuscript. That the book? Mm. Sabre was trying to retain his thoughts. He felt them slipping away before Twining's presence. He could hear Twining breathing through his nose, and felt incensed that Twining should come and breathe through his nose by his chair when he wanted to write. But Twining continued to stand by the chair and breathe through his nose. He was reading over Sabre's shoulder. The few pages of England, already written, lay in front of Sabre's pad, the first page uppermost. Twining read and interjected a snort into his nasal rhythm. "'Well, that book is not written for me, anyway,' he remarked. Sabre agreed shortly. "'It isn't, but why not?' Twining read aloud the first words. "'This England you live in is yours.' "'Well, I take my oath it isn't mine, not a blooming inch of it. Do you know what's happening to me? I'm being turned out of my house. The lease is out, and the whole damn house and everything I've put into it goes on one of these lordlings, this Lord Tybar, just because one of his ancestors, who'd never even dreamt of the house, pinched the land it stands on from the public common and started to pocket ground rent. Now I'm being pitched into the street to let Lord Tybar have a house that's no more his than the man in the moons. Do you call that right? No, I don't said Sabre, but with a twinge of impatience. 
I call it rotten. Twining seemed surprised. Do you, though? Well, how about that book? I mean to say, I shall say so in the book, or as good as say so. Twining pondered. Shall you, by Jove? Well, but I say, that's liberalism. Radicalism, you know. That's not the sort of pap for kids. Well, the book isn't going to be pap for kids. Twining snorted a note of laughter through his nose. Sorry, old man, don't get shirty, but I say, though, seriously, we can't put out that sort of stuff, you know, radicalism, not with our connection. I mean to say... Sabre gathered up the papers and dropped them into a drawer. Look here, Twining, suppose you wait till the book is written before you criticize it. How about that for an idea? All right, all right, old man, I'm not criticizing. What's it going to be called? England. Silence. Sabre appreciating, with the author's intense suspicion for his child, something in silence, looking up at Twining. Anything wrong about that? England? You read the first sentence, Twining said slowly. Yes, I know I did. I thought of it then. Thought of what? Well, England. This England. I mean to say, what about Scotland? Well, what about Scotland? Twining seemed really concerned. The puckers on his face had visibly deepened. He used a stubborn tone. Well, you know what people are. You know how damn touchy those Scotsmen are. I mean to say, if we put out a book like that, the Scotch... Sabre smote the desk. This kind of thing from Twining made him furious, and he was particularly not in the mood for it this morning. He struck his hand down on the desk. Well, damn the Scotch. What's it got to do with the Scotch? This book isn't about Scotland. It's about England. England. I'll tell you another thing. You say if we put out a book like that, it isn't we. Excuse me for saying so, but it certainly isn't you. It is I. He stopped and then laughed. Sorry, Twining. Twining's face had gone very dark. His jaw had set. All right. He turned away, but immediately returned again. His face relaxed. That's all right. Only my chirping, you know. I say, though, and he laughed nervously, that not we... You've said it. I'd come in to tell you. It's going to be we. He advanced the paper he had been holding in his hand, his thumb indicating the top left-hand corner. What do you think of me above the line, my boy? The paper was a sheet of the firm's notepaper. In the upper left-hand corner was printed, in small type, The Reverend Sebastian Fortune. Beneath the name was a short line, and beneath the line, Mr. Sherman Twining, Mr. Mark Saber. The Reverend Sebastian Fortune. Mr. Sherman Twining. Mr. Mark Saber. Saber said slowly, What do you mean above the line? Twining indicated the short line with a forefinger. That line, my boy. Jonah's going to take me into partnership. Just told me. He had released the paper into Saber's hand. Saber handed it back with a single word. Good. Twining's face darkened again and darkened worse. He crumpled the paper violently in his hand and spoke out but a single word. Thanks. He turned sharply on his heel and went to the door. I say, Twining. Saber jumped to his feet and went to Twining with outstretched hand. I didn't mean to take it like that. Don't think I'm not. I congratulate you. Jolly good. Splendid. I'll tell you what. I don't mind telling you. It was a bit of a smack in the eye for me for a moment. You know, I've rather sweated over this business. His glance indicated the stack bookshelves, the firm's publications, his publications. See what I mean? A certain movement in his throat and about his mouth indicated, more than his words, what he meant. A slight. Twining took the hand and gripped it with firmness characteristic of his handshake. 
"'Thanks, old man. Thanks awfully. Of course I know what you mean. But after all, look at the thing, eh? I mean to say, you've been here, what, ten, twelve years? Well, I've been here over twenty-five. Natural, eh? And you're doing splendidly. Everyone knows that. It's only a question of time. Thanks awfully.' He reached for Sabre's hand again, and gripped it hard. Sabre went back again and sat at his desk. What rather got me, you know, coming all of a sudden like that, was that Fortune promised me partnership twice, quite a bit ago. Twining, who had been speaking with an emotion of consonance, with the grip of his hand, said a little blankly, Did he? That's so? Yes, twice. And this looked like, when you told me, well, like dissatisfaction, see, eh? Twining did not take up the point. "'I say, you never told me.' "'I'm telling you now,' Sabre said, and he laughed ruefully. "'It comes to much the same thing, as it turns out.' "'Yes, but still, I wish we worked a bit together more, Sabre. I'm always ready to, you know. Let's, shall we?' Sabre made no reply. Twining repeated, "'Let's,' and nodded and left the room. Immediately he opened the door again and reappeared. I say, you won't say anything to Jonah, of course. Sabre smiled grimly. I'm going to. Again the darkening. Dash it, that's not quite playing the game, is it? Rot, Twining. Fortune's made me a promise, and I'm going to ask if he has any reason for withdrawing it, that's all. It's nothing to do with your show. You're bound to tell him I've told you. Well, man alive, I'm bound to know, aren't I? Yes, in a way. Oh, well, all right. Remember about working in more together. He withdrew and closed the door. Outside the door he clenched his hands, he thought. Smack in the eye for you, was it? You'll get a damn sight worse smack in the eye one of these days, dirty dog. Immediately the door was closed, and Sabre went what he would have called plug-in to Mr. Fortune. That is to say, without hesitation and without reflection, he went in by the communicating door, first giving a single tap, but without waiting for a reply to the tap. Mr. Fortune, presenting a whale-like flank, was at his table going through invoices and making notes in a small black book which he always carried in a tail-pocket of his coat. "'Can I speak to you a minute, Mr. Fortune?' Mr. Fortune entered a note in the small black book. Twenty-eight, sixteen, four. He placed a broad elastic band around the book, and with the dexterity of practice passed the book around his bulk into the tail-pocket. He flicked his hands away, and extended them for an instant, palms upward, much as a conjurer might to show there was nothing in them. "'Certainly you may speak to me, Sabre.' He performed his neat revolving trick. "'As a matter of fact, I rather wanted to speak to you.' He pointed across the whale-like front to the massive leathern armchair beside his desk. The seat of the armchair marked in a vast hollow the cumulative ponderosity of the pillars of the church and school who were wont to sit in it. Sabre seated himself on the arm. What's it about this partnership business? Mr. Fortune had already frowned to see Sabre upon the arm of the chair, a position for which the arm was not intended. His frown deepened. What partnership business? Well, you recollect promising me— being good enough to promise me, twice, that I was going to come into partnership. Mr. Fortune folded his hands upon the whale-like front. I certainly do not recollect that, Sabre. He raised a hand, responsive to a gesture. Allow me. I recollect no promise. Either twice, or any other number of times, greater or fewer. 
I do recollect mentioning to you the possibility of my making you such a proposal in my good time. Is that what you refer to as this partnership business? Yes, partly. Well, look here, sir. It's been a pretty good time, hasn't it? I mean, since you spoke of it. Mr. Fortune tugged strongly at his watch by its gold chain, and looked at the watch rather as though he expected to see the extent of the good time there recorded. He forced it back with both hands, rather as though it had failed of its duty, and was becoming crammed away in disgrace. I am expecting Cannon too much. He hit the watch, cowering, as one might suppose, in his pocket. You know, my dear Sabre, I do think it's a little odd, a little unusual. You cannot bounce into partnership, Sabre. I know your manner. I know your manner well. Oblige me by not fiddling with that paper knife. Thank you. And I make allowances for your manner. But believe me, a partnership is not supposed to be bounced into. You give me the impression. I do not say you mean it. I say you give it. Of suddenly, and without due cause, or just opportunity, trying to bounce me into taking you into partnership. I most emphatically am not to be bounced, Sabre. I've never been bounced, and you may quite safely take it from me that I never propose or intend to be bounced. Sabre thought. Well, it would take a steam crane to bounce you anyway, he said. I hadn't the faintest intention of doing such a thing. If I made you think so, I am sorry. I simply wanted to ask if you've changed your mind, and if so, why? I mean, whether I have given you any cause for dissatisfaction since you first mentioned it to me. Mr. Fortune's whale-like front had labored with some agitation during his repudiation of liability to being bounced. Now it resumed its normal dignity. You certainly have not, Sabre. No cause for dissatisfaction. On the contrary. You know quite well that there are certain characteristics of yours which, constituted as I am, I do not approve. I really must beg of you not to fiddle with those scissors. Thank you. But they are, happily, quite apart from your work. I do not permit them to influence my opinion of you by one jot or tittle. You may entirely reassure yourself. May I inquire why you should have supposed I had changed my mind? "'Because I've just heard that you've told Twining you're going to take him into partnership.' The whale-like front gave a sudden leap and quiver precisely as if it had been struck by a cricket ball. Mr. Fortune's voice hardened very remarkably. "'As to that, I will permit myself two remarks. In the first place, I consider it highly reprehensible of Twining to have communicated this to you,' Sabre broke in. "'Well, he didn't. I'd like you to be quite clear on that point, if you don't mind. Twining didn't tell me. It came out quite indirectly in the course of something I was saying to him. I doubt if he knows that I know even. I inferred it. It seems I inferred correctly. There flashed through Mr. Fortune's mind a poignant regret. This being the case, he had not denied it. He said, I am exceedingly glad to hear it. I might have known Twining would not be capable of such a breach of discretion. Resuming what I had to say, and savor, I shall indeed be most intensely obliged if you will refrain from fiddling with the things on my table. Resuming what I had to say, I will observe in the second and last place that I am entirely depreciate. I will go further. I most strongly resent any questioning by any one member of my staff based on any intentions of mine relative to another member of my staff. This business is my business. I think you are sometimes a little prone to forget that. 
if it seems good to me to strengthen your hand in your department that has nothing to do whatever with twining and if it seems good to me to strengthen twining's hand in twining's department that has nothing whatever to do with you Sabre, despite his private feelings in the matter, characteristically followed this reasoning, completely, and said so. "'Yes, that's your way of looking at it, sir. And I don't say it isn't perfectly sound, from your point of view.' Mr. Fortune inclined his head solemnly. "'I am obliged to you. Only other people look at things on the face of them, just as they appear. You know, it's difficult to express it. I've put my heart into those books.' He made a gesture towards his room i can't quite explain it but i feel that the slight or what looks like a slight is on them not me he put his hand to the back of his head a habit characteristic when he was embarrassed or perplexed i'm afraid i can't quite express it but it's the books not myself i'm fond of them they're not just paper and print to me i feel that they feel it you won't quite understand i'm afraid no i confess that is a little beyond me said mr fortune smoothing his front and they remained looking at one another a sudden unearthly moan sounded through the room mr fortune spun himself with relief to his desk and applied his lips to a flexible speaking tube yes he dodged the tube to his ear and then his lips again beg cannon too much to step up to my room he laid down the tube sabre roused himself and stood up abruptly ah oh, well all right sir he moved to his door. "'Sabre,' inquired Mr. Fortune. "'You get on well with Twining, I trust?' "'Get on? Oh, yes. We don't have too much to do with each other. Do you dislike Twining?' "'I don't dislike him. I'm indifferent to him.' "'I regret to hear that,' said Mr. Fortune. From the door Sabre put a question in his turn. "'When are you going to make this change with Twining?' "'Not today.' Am I still to remember that you held out partnership to me? Certainly you may. When is it likely to be? Not today. Maddening expression. Sabre in his room went toward his chair. He was about to drop into it when he recollected something. He went out into the corridor and along the corridor, past Mr. Fortune's door, to Twining's room. He put in his head, Oh, I say, Twining, if Fortune should ever ask you, if you told me about that business, you can tell him you didn't. Oh, oh, right-o, said Twining, and to himself when he closed the door. End of chapter 2 Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah, voiceover-solutions.com